Hi, I'm Luke Walker, and this is Inside Industry with IREO, the premier podcast about WSU researchers who fund their research privately, which is also known as industry. I have with me today Aaron Fever, the JC Dream Director. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you today, Luke? I'm doing just dandy. So you're the director of JC Dream, an organization administered through WSU that focuses on using earth-abundant materials and using it in industrial sector. Can you explain more about what JC Dream does? Sure. So JC Dream is a, it's a heck of an acronym. I, I, I can't claim credit for it myself, but it stands for the Joint Center for Deployment and Research in Earth-Abundant Materials. And we focus on trying to address critical materials challenges. So in, in industry and in clean energy and, and transportation. So let me just take a little bit and explain what critical materials are. There are a whole variety of different elements and materials that are used in all kinds of technology, everything from you know cell phones, automobiles, military applications, uh, and even more these days in the, in the clean energy sector. And everything that is produced or engineered is produced from things that are mined from the planet or come from uh, you know, the, the natural ecosystem, things like wood. But most things come from mining operations. Most plastics come from oil and gas. Metals, of course, come from ore and, and, and are mined out of the ground. And if we look at all of these different kinds of materials, there's a certain subset of them that are actually relatively rare or hard to come by. And then there's a subset of those that are rare and hard to come by, but are from places where we have geopolitical problems you know, developing countries or countries run by dictators or, or regimes where we'd prefer not to do business. And so you combine a strong need for a certain material and having it be relatively uncommon and then layer on top of that some sort of geopolitical concern and you start to run into critical materials and problems with that supply chain. And so what JC Dream does is tries to identify those and figure out ways that we can use more earth abundant materials. So I think a, an interesting example, one that I use fairly frequently is if you look at your, your mobile phone that everybody carries around, there are a bunch of critical materials in everybody's mobile phones. We have things like cobalt in the lithium ion battery inside your phone. Cobalt is a relatively rare element that's necessary for lithium ion batteries, but two thirds of the world's supply of cobalt comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So this is not a very good place to be doing business, and it's not where we really want to be pinning all kinds of advanced technology, and, and even more so where we want to be using material or we want to be sourcing materials that we're going to rely on for clean energy. We're thinking that as the grid expands into the clean energy sector, we're going to need more and more lithium-ion batteries to power the grid. We're going to need electric cars and electric trucks and all kinds of things like that. And having to rely on that much cobalt from the Democratic Republic of the Congo is not a really good idea. So trying to come up with ways to substitute out that cobalt and use other elements to replace it, those are those are really important. And that kind of that story repeats itself over and over again. You're Again, your mobile phone has rare earth elements in the magnet actuators that are inside the speakers and the microphone. And you, again, that same situation, rare earth elements predominantly come from China right now. And we've heard about trade wars around rare earth elements. Well, those same rare earth elements are in electric motors and wind turbines. And so as we 
continually rely on those, those sorts of elements. We subject ourselves to geopolitical and supply chain issues, all kinds of human rights issues and environmental impact that comes along with using those kinds of elements and materials. And it's sad to say, but everybody's, everybody's cell phone has a small amount of cobalt in it that was probably mined by children in the Democratic Republic of the Congo who were literally digging holes with pickaxes in their backyard, trying to find the cobalt so that we could have it in our mobile phones. That's just not the kind of technology that we want to be using if we can avoid it. So we're trying to identify alternatives to get ourselves away from those kinds of challenges. And what is some of the work JC Dream is currently doing? We fund a whole bunch of different research programs in, in all kinds of different sectors. One thing that we've spent an awful lot of time on in the energy sector is a different type of critical material challenge that I, that I didn't talk about in the previous question, and that's related more to the hydrogen economy. In the energy sector, like I mentioned earlier, we're, we are t starting to target energy storage applications where we can utilize different technologies to store energy that's generated from the intermittent wind and solar renewable supply that we have. And that's that's necessary because the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. And we will need to find ways to store the energy when it's available so that we can use it in the middle of the night or you know when the wind isn't blowing. You know, as I mentioned, batteries are are a good option, but we won't really be able to store enough energy to power, say, the entire city of Seattle all night long on a bunch of batteries. It's just not really, it's probably not going to, to, going to work out. So we need ways to store energy for longer periods of time. And one of the best ways that people have come up with is to produce hydrogen when extra energy is available. And so you can produce hydrogen by splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen. And people are already starting to do this. In fact, there's a program getting underway out on the Columbia River run by Douglas County Public Utility District, where they're going to use an electrolyzer, which is a fancy piece of equipment that splits water into hydrogen and oxygen. And when they have excess electricity or very low cost electricity, rather than just selling it on the grid at, at less than what it's worth, they're going to use that to produce hydrogen. And then we can store the hydrogen and turn it around and use it to power buses and cars. And you can use that energy and put it back on the grid when the electricity is actually worth a little bit more money, say a peak, peak demand kind of scenario. And so that hydrogen economy is a key part of the energy sector again, in the energy storage space that we've highlighted as very important. The interesting thing about it, though, is that it also requires a whole bunch of critical materials. In fact, most of those electrolyzers and the fuel cells that you would use to then take the electrolyzers that that create hydrogen, and then the fuel cells that you would be using to convert that hydrogen back into electricity, they all use platinum group elements. So these are precious metals, mostly coming from South Africa and a handful of other places in Africa. And they are elements like platinum, ruthenium, rhodium, iridium. And these, uh, these elements are a class of materials that are that are called catalysts, which are basically their elements that reduce the energy barriers needed to create chemical reactions that we, that we have um, a desire for. And so, so like splitting water into hydrogen and, and oxygen is enabled by these platinum group metals. So we need to figure out ways if we're going to 
consider using hydrogen, a new technology like electrolyzers and fuel cells to power the grid and all of our transportation infrastructure, we want to avoid the same mistakes we've made in the past. And we don't want to be hugely reliant on those platinum group metals. We want to find alternatives. That whole focus of the hydrogen economy, potentially using hydrogen and carbon from uh, the atmosphere or carbon from transportation emissions to create e-fuels is a whole another sector that we're spending a lot of focus on. And again, all of this chemistry relies on the use of catalysts. And so we want to try to figure out ways to enable that next generation of energy technology without a reliance on critical materials and, and come up with earth abundant alternatives. So that's the that's the focus of the recent effort that we're calling CHARGE, which is the Consortium for Hydrogen and Renewably Generated E-Fuels. And it's a group of folks um, across WSU and across the entire state, actually, that are trying to come together to help us enable that hydrogen economy and the e-fuels the e as well. Wow. Speaking of working across Washington State, I know that JC Dream didn't just start out of nowhere, but there was a bill sponsored by the Washington State Legislature to start it. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. So I actually, um, I originally joined JC Dream as a board member back in 2015. And JC Dream had been started by a couple of our current board members, State Representative Norma Smith, who is now actually just retired just a few months ago. And then Ramalu Mamadala from the University of Washington and Suresh Bhaskaran from, from PNNL. And those folks identified the need for a program to help identify these kinds of critical materials challenges. Anyway, I think Norma is very outspoken and passionate about this issue. And so she helped push through the JC Dream law in 2015. And we were able to get pretty good amount of money. I believe it was $4 million to kickstart JC Dream. We did some capital investment and invested in some very nice research equipment at the University of Washington, WSU. Western Washington University and a few other areas. And that really got us started on doing some of the research to enable earth abundant materials in place of critical materials. And, and so that's been going on for, for many years now. And then there was a second bill that enabled JC Dream to acquire some routine operating funds just a couple of years ago. And so that was really needed. We'd done a good job figuring out that initial capital investment, but there were, you know, it was a group of us that were on a volunteer board, basically trying to help steer the state's policy on critical materials. And it was a little tricky because nobody, nobody had that as a full-time job. And so with that second bill, we were able to have a reliable year after year operating budget. And that's when we, you know, decided to hire a director. I actually decided to apply pretty late in the game, but I think from my past experience with JC Dream, we moved forward with a full-time director myself and then hiring some staff and we've started a seed grant program. And again, you're right. All of that has been enabled um, by the state legislature. So really, you know, kudos to the state legislature. It is a, JC Dream is a, is a unique organization. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country. And so we're really leading the way on tackling this issue. So it's, it's very exciting. That's certainly a unique start for an organization like JC Dream. And even before it started, you've been involved with some other efforts like nanotechnology. What did you do with that? Yeah, I've, I've been doing 
work in the energy space since about 2000, really. I left my first job at Boeing after about six years and went back to grad school in the 2000, kind of two, between 2000 and 2003 or so. And really, even back then, I was interested in the hydrogen economy and ways to store energy. And so after giving up on the hydrogen economy in 2003 for the first time, I turned my focus to battery technology. And so I have developed a couple of different battery materials companies. One was called Energy2, which was a, a company that, that made um, produced carbon materials for a variety of energy storage applications like uh, ultracapacitors, carbon enhanced lead acid batteries, and even natural gas storage. And then that company was sold to BASF in about 2016. And just prior to the, the acquisition, we spun out a new company called Group 14 Technologies. And we'd been working on technology in the lithium ion battery space to replace the lithium ion anode, which has been, been a graphite for the last 30 years, really since the lithium ion battery was invented, they've been using graphite as the anode. And the technology just has been advancing year after year after year, but that anode material has been the same essentially for a very long time. And so Group 14 has invented a way to use a combination of nanostructured silicon and carbon in a nanocomposite material. And the uh, the Group 14 technology is really exciting. It's looking, it's looking fan fantastic, and they are scaling up a manufacturing facility over in Woodenville, and um, constantly coming up with next generation technologies. And it's looking like it will enable um, about a 30% improvement in the amount of energy that you can put into a lithium-ion battery. So that's that's pretty exciting. It's going to be a big deal for mobile applications, electric cars, um, electric transportation of all sorts. And it uh, looks like they're doing really well. So I'm excited to watch Group 14 unfold here over the, over the last few years. Now with your work and what JC Dream is doing to have a cleaner planet, is there anything you'd advise that an average person or listener can do on their part to help preserve the planet? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think just trying to increase awareness of these kinds of things is really, really important. We have no idea what goes into the devices that, that we use. And even being someone who was part of the battery industry, you know, back in 2015, until it, they requested me to, to join the board of JC Dream, I, I had heard of the cobalt issues, but even as a materials developer in the space, I wasn't really paying that much attention to it. And it's just lack of knowledge and knowing about these issues. Everybody I talk to has no idea that the technology that they use every day has these kinds of things in it. The cell phone, like I said, is, is full of critical materials issues. Just to add one more, the, the touch screen on it that we touch every day is electrically conductive because of a material called indium tin oxide. And indium is once again, another one of these critical materials everybody looks at every day. It's on touch screens of all sorts. It's on solar panels. It's on a whole variety of display technologies. So we're literally looking at this all the time, but we don't even realize that it's there because it's one of the most common transparent conductors that is around. And so it's important to look into how things are made 
made, where they come from. It's kind of like doing a, a little bit of genealogy on the consumer products that we use. There's all kinds of things we can do. A whole bunch of movement has taken place on that cobalt issue because of organizations like Amnesty International, who actually sued Apple and Samsung and Microsoft over the issue of cobalt. That was just a kind of a consumer-driven push or focus. And I think the more consumers are aware of these things, the more we figure out ways to recycle these materials, the more we try to just use a little less of them and, you know, don't replace that phone until you really have to think about the technologies that you're, that you're buying. Those are all things that, you know, everyday people can just read about, learn about, and we can do a lot better. So, and I think the more we push on these technology companies to develop solutions, the more likely they will be to come up with earth abundant solutions and to dive into their supply chain and audit their supply chain and make sure that they don't have these kinds of, of issues. And I think a lot of that is really driven by consumers. So I think we can, I think we can all collectively make a pretty big difference on the issue. Now with the work that you've done, could you explain why utilizing industry has been important? This is my first job in the public sector. I've been in the private sector my entire career, either at Boeing or, I mean, I guess I was a graduate student for a while at the University of Washington, but for the most part, I've been working for companies. And part of the reason that I've done that is because that's where things actually become real. That's where we make products and put them out into the world. I'm constantly just hugely impressed by all of the knowledge and understanding and new materials and new technologies that are developed within universities like WSU and all the other great research institutions that we have in this country. But we can do a lot better in working towards moving that technology out the door and getting it into the hands of industry where it can be put to use. Because there's never been a university really that, that manufactured a material that was used by people. It was developed there, but then it took years of work to get it to the point where it could be used by industry. The tricky thing is that a lot of times universities will be kind of lacking a little bit of that real world context. And so they, you know, and I've done this myself, we solve a problem that we think is the most important because we've kind of been reading and existing in our research bubble, or we talk a little bit with folks in industry. And then we say, oh, I can fix that problem and, and start to work on it. But without being very closely linked to industry, I find that what happens is that you, you end up solving problems that are almost the right problem to be solved. They're directly adjacent, but not quite addressing the challenge that's really necessary to get those advancements in those materials and technology out into the real world. There's always something you're optimizing for weight instead of for volume, or you really just need to get past one extra little cost barrier. And then, you know, the world is your oyster. This is just going to completely take off. Just giving researchers that context and that interface with industry really helps dramatically in their ability to make sure they're solving the right problems. So what is next for JC Dream and can people get involved in any way? Yeah, you know, we have a whole lot of really great activities going on that are that are ripe for involvement. We operate a seed grant program on an annual basis. So we will offer a, we put out a solicitation every year where people can apply for seed grant funding, which is usually in the neighborhood of probably 20 or 30K per year. And we'll enable them to start a new research program or look for ways to fund a new collaboration with industry or something like that. 
that's an open call right now. And the, the proposals are due on May 15th. That's pretty exciting and a great way for people to get involved with JC Dream. Another big thing that we're doing right now is I mentioned the Charge Consortium. On May 20th, we are actually hosting a launch event for Charge. Governor Inslee is actually going to be speaking. Um, a number of other notable folks from the university, from the National Lab, industry. We're going to have a panel on hydrogen and a panel on e-fuels. And I'm really excited about using that as a way to get some new energy here in, in, within the state of Washington. Um, there's going to be a bunch of folks from WSU involved, but people from across the state are welcome. And we actually have, we've released a survey to try to understand how different people participate in the e-fuels and hydrogen space. So taking the survey, if you're interested in that technology is a great way to get involved. That'll kind of put you on our list of people that are interested in that technology. And it'll help us figure out ways to really put the pieces together and help connect people, you know, maybe identify a person in industry that needs help from researchers or a researcher that needs an industry partner or a government or a, a local municipality that's really interested in hosting some kind of a, a pilot program or things like that. So that survey is something that we're promoting as part of the charge effort. There's a number of different ways. And of, and of course, if anybody has questions, they're always welcome to, to reach out to me through our website or through my email. I'd be happy to talk with people about how to get involved with JC Dream. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being with us today. It was really fascinating to learn about JC Dream and all the work you've been doing with Earth Abundant Materials. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, this concludes our episode. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in learning more about the Charge Conference on May 20th that Governor Jay Inslee is attending, you can find more info in our episode description or on jcdream.org. I'm Luke Walker, and this is Insight Industry with IREO.